0: We invite you to follow along if you want to. If you want to open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter six, we'll be starting in verse ten. And um, what's interesting is, is if you look at your Bible, um, there's a section heading there that it's either going to be the armor of God or the whole armor of God, and and these, these were actually actually added later. They weren't actually part of the of the Bible when they were written. Um, And you may even find a translation that may say, the Christian's armor. Um, But if you recall from last week's lesson, that uh, the way the ancient Israelites spoke about God, they always spoke about God being the one taking action. And so um, what we'll be studying today is basically it's God's armor. So with that in mind, um, we'll go... Through the, read through the scripture. Um, I'll be using the ESV specifically for this specific reading, but when we get into the study, I'll be transitioning between the ESV, the Amplified, and the NIV. And the, it's, it's going to be on the screen, so you don't... some of you look like you're panicking, but don't panic. Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So um, a few words first about spiritual warfare before we dive into this study. Um, spiritual, spiritual warfare, it's it's a reality that most Christians kind of have varying views on. Um, some have a middle ground where they believe that it goes on, and there's some who obsess with it a little too much and have too much awareness of it, and then there's some who just kind of, well, don't really see it. Uh, I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist. Um, but one thing is, is that, you don't want your awareness of it to become an obsession, uh, or uh, turn it into a preoccupation, because the preoccupation leads to an, to an obsession, um, where someone may like see the devil everywhere, and that that that's not what we're aiming for here. Um, and then there's, you can't let your awareness be too lax either, because then the, what you're dealing with these spiritual forces will, they'll find an opening. It's um, it's like leaving your home unlocked and, and just advertising it and with that open door they can they can come in um, so we're, we're going to look at a bit of a middle ground here today uh, and and also also keep in mind that you can't attribute everything to the devil because there is human evil out there we have a fallen nature man's sinful nature and pastor Vodi Bauckham um, has said often that we give the devil way too much credit uh, when more often we are the problem. The, the devil may instigate something, but we, we're the ones who perpetuate it. So with that in mind, um, let's, let's take a bit of an overview of uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians uh, when he was uh, imprisoned in Rome. And so the rough estimate is that it was about 60 to 62 AD. And he actually wrote this letter to the Ephesians when he was physically chained to a Roman guard. So 24-7 while he was in prison, he was chained to a Roman guard. So no matter whether he ate, whether he slept, whatever he was doing, he was, he was attached to this Roman guard. And he wrote uh, this letter to the Ephesians to, to encourage the Ephesians who were living currently living in the city of Ephesus. And it was a very hostile environment uh, towards God. Uh, Ephesus at that time was known as a center of paganism, it was a center of immorality, and it was known for ha- having widespread corruption. And it's actually mentioned in the second chapter of the book of Revelation, where the Lord Jesus Christ tells the Apostle John to write this about, uh, to the Ephesians, to the Ephesian church. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is a paradise of God." So the theme of of the book of, uh, of, of Ephesians can be described as part doctrine and part duty up until, chapter six where there's a sudden change that caught the Ephesians off guard where Paul starts talking about spiritual warfare, which is uh, our study for today. And so we have to understand that we're all living in a spiritual battleground and all of us are involved in this battle, but it's only the Christian who can take up the armor that we're going to study. So with that in mind, let's start first with what's called the soldier's goal. And the verse we're studying right now is, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So this is a command to be strong, but not with your own strength. You want to be strong with God's strength. Um, because whatever, whatever strength you have in this battle is not, go- is not going to be won with your strength. Because that isn't sufficient enough. Just like you can't save yourself through works. You can't fight this battle under your own strength. So God is a source of the believer's strength and this strength is only found in a growing relationship with him. So the Greek word for strong is endunamu, which means to be strong and to grow stronger. And so the believer must possess and must grow strong in the power and strength as he or she journeys through this life. And then if you look at the, the power, the word for power is kratos. And that implies God has sovereign power and dominion over everything in this universe. And if you look at the word might, that's the Greek word is which means God's ability to use his strength, use his force, use his power wisely in perfect way because he's God. So the next thing Paul tells us is to put on the full armor of God or the whole armor of God. And each piece serves a purpose, as we'll see in a few moments, and if if you have a piece missing, then something's going to get through. But with this armor, there's a catch. You have to be strong from within before you put on this armor, and that that strength is going to come, as we're going to see through practice, dedication, and not giving up, because no amount of armor that you put on is going to protect you if you don't actually have the will to fight. So who are we fighting against? So let's look at the soldier's enemy. Uh, starting in the last half of verse 11. All the schemes and the strategies and the deceits of the devil. That's continuing from the last verse. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness and heavenly, Uh, Places so uh, if you've never used the amplified version before or the translation usually if if it's in brackets That's kind of meant to be taken and read with the text or if you see anything in parentheses That's just adding an enhancement to the to the translation So as as Christians we face three enemies which um, Michael and John have spoken about over the years. There's the world. There's a devil and there's our flesh desires, uh, specifically selfishness and pride, and that's actually mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2. So here's a definition of spiritual warfare that's found in several study Bibles. Spiritual warfare is the constant struggle between the flesh and the spirit, between good and evil, between hope and despair, between faith and unbelief, and between carnality and spirituality in the believer. Spiritual warfare is waged on three fronts personal, corporate, and cosmic. In all three cases, the war is waged against unseen enemies, principalities, and powers, and evil in high places. So in in the verse where schemes, where you see the word schemes, that's the Greek word methode. That means trickery, or to lie in wait, craftiness, deceitfulness, cunning. And in, in previous lessons that Michael and John have presented, they both talked about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the f- flesh, and the pride of life. That's one, that's one set of schemes of the devil. And it starts out small. And I think we all, we all know this. It may start out with us looking at decadent food or maybe looking at an attractive person or envying someone's job title or envying the power that someone has. And, and we, we all take a taste of it mostly with our eyes. And then our minds start to wander and leads to the physical grasping of the thing that we crave and then we've had our fill. But then all it takes is a second look and then we go back for seconds and then we go back for thirds. And suddenly you're like that fish with the hook in your mouth and you just keep getting reeled in until someone pulls you out of the water, throws you in the bucket and the next thing you know, you're being roasted over a fire. The other scheme that the devil uses is false teachers. And it's written in the Bible that Satan, Satan masquerades as an angel of light and Satan has its own, his own ministers who preach. And some of the things they preach are that humans are good on the inside, that good works will get you into heaven. that You can do anything you put your mind to because the power already resides within you. You don't have to work for it. And they'll even say that Jesus is just a wise man and completely omit the fact that Jesus is God. So this is the enemy that we struggle against. Um, Paul uses the word struggle, and the word he uses means that it's a life or death struggle. So the, the late theologian Kenneth Wurst wrote the following on struggle. So he writes, the word struggle, or in some translations, it's wrestle, which is the Greek word pale or paleo, Paul uses a Greek athletic term. It's defined as follows. A contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other, and in which is decided when the victor is able to press and hold down his prostrate antagonist. Namely, hold him down with his hand upon his neck. When we consider the loser in a Greek wrestling contest had his eyes gouged out with resulting blindness for the rest of his days, we can form some conception of the Ephesian Greeks' reaction to Paul's illustration. The Christian's wrestling against the powers of darkness is no less desperate and fateful. So who exactly are we fighting against? Um, we're, We're told that the warfare is not physical but spiritual, but it's against spiritual beings. And you'll notice how many times Paul actually uses the word against, against rulers, against the powers against the world's forces, against spiritual forces. And, and we have to ask the question, why? Um, and so rulers, powers, world forces, spiritual forces, uh, that the, the word that's used for powers is cosmokratoras, and, that's, and that indicates that there's a hierarchy of these forces. So you have rulers who are probably leaders, you have powers, those, those are Satan's fallen angels. You have world or, co- or, or cosmic forces. That's like, the, that's like more, more, more of the enemy's forces. And then you have uh, what's called the world ruler, which is typically used as an analogy to Satan. And then again, spiritual forces again, and that represents Satan and his armies. And, and the best way to think about it is company president department heads, project heads, and worker bees. That's, there's that hierarchy, and that hierarchy's actually been proven in the Bible, um, in the Old Testament, where in Daniel chapter 10, uh, it's mentioned that there's that uh, one of the angels who, who went to Daniel actually had to struggle with the prince of the Persian kingdom. That's in Daniel 10, um, starting in verse 10. And then, of course, we all remember where the Lord Jesus Christ had to cast a legion of demons out of a man. So there's hierarchies that we're also dealing with. And Paul tells us that these forces, they're powerful, they're numerous, they're organized into a hierarchy, and they rule the darkness of this world. And when he says darkness, the darkness isn't a physical darkness, it's, it's an ignorance or a rejection of God. It's living in a blindness to the truth of the gospel and the truth of salvation. And so when we're spoken about being in the light You're in the light when you know God the Father, when you know God the Son, when you know the Holy Spirit, when you know the truth of what the gospel is. So Paul tells us that the forces of evil are spiritual forces of wickedness. So the late theologian F.F. Bruce wrote the following about the spiritual forces of wickedness. He writes, Satan and his demonic forces rank among the highest angel princes in the hierarchy of the heavenly places. Yet all of them owe their existence to God Through whom they were created and that's a reference to colossians 1 verse 16 and who is accordingly the head of all principality and power that's from colossians 2 verse 10 but some at least of the principalities and powers have embarked upon rebellion against god not only seeking to force men to pay them the worship that is due god but launched an assault upon the crucified christ at the time they thought they had him at their mercy but christ far from suffering their assault without resistance, grappled with them and overcame them, stripping them of their armor and driving them before him in his triumphal procession. That's from Colossians 2, verse 15. Thus, the hostile powers of evil which Christians must encounter are already vanquished powers. But it is only through faith union with the victorious Christ that Christians can make this triumph theirs. So these forces, they seek to receive the loyalty, the devotion, and the honor that belongs to God. And they get us to, to do this by getting us to give in to things like prejudice, like favoritism, like anger, hate, selfishness, envy, immorality, arrogance, lying, and pride. Pride being the worst because we know it was pride. Pride was the reason that Satan fell. So what's our responsibility? So it's written in verse 13, therefore put on the complete armor of God so that you will be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger. And having done everything that is the crisis, that the crisis demands, to stand firm in your place, fully prepared, immovable, victorious. So just like we talk about the word behold, where we see that in the Bible, and that usually when an author of the gospel or another book in the Bible says, behold, they really want you to pay attention to something because what's going to happen next is really important. When you see the word therefore, the writer is telling us to, to do something or is going to clarify something. So if you see therefore in your Bible reading, then, then it's always helpful to go back and look at what came before. Um, think of this as cause, and e- cause therefore, effect or problem, therefore, solution. So in this case, Paul is telling us uh, this is the situation, so that's what we had in the previous verses, and therefore, or for this very reason, you have to take action, and in this case, you have to put on the armor of God. So when Paul writes here, this evil day, he means today and every day. This is a call to battle today, and that the battle could come today, it could come tomorrow, or it could come any day in the future, and th- that battle is our daily temptations and trials. And on that day when it comes, and it will come, you have to hold firm in your faith. You have to stand your ground and you have to fight. So how do we fight? We put on the soldier's armor. So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. So uh, why was the belt important to the soldier? So most Roman soldiers wore a tunic and it covered just basically the upper body, maybe went down just below the thighs, maybe down to the knees, and it was a loose-fitting piece of clothing. And what they did was they took their belt and they wrapped it around, and that actually held everything in place. Any piece of loose clothing was tightened up. Um, and you know, for those of you who've either been in a boxing ring, studied martial arts, or just maybe you got beat up on the playground like I did. Um, you, know, <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> you, you know that if your clothing is loose, it's gonna get in the way, right? Um, you want freedom of movement. You don't wanna be entangled. So what is the belt of truth? Well, first off the belt, the, the truth, is that uh, is the Lord Jesus Christ? He said, "He is the way, the truth, and the life." It's also the Word of God um, that we spend time daily reading. It's living a life according to God's Word. So when we know the truth, that keeps us from getting involved in frivolous things in this in this world. It stops us from getting entangled in things that that just don't matter in eternity, and and it sustains us in the trials of life. And the the truth and only God's truth must be preached from the pulpit. Preachers should not be teaching their personal opinions or personal perspectives or or any self-help advice. They need to be teaching God's truth from God's word. So we mentioned false teachers earlier, just just be wary of anyone who stands at the pulpit and preaches themselves or anything outside the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because anything outside of the truth of of God's word is a weak belt, or no belt at all. Because if if Christ isn't your focus, then you're going to go astray. So how do we prevent this? The next piece of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. So some, some versions of a New Living Translation, if you have an older version, will actually call this the body armor, of righteousness and that that is actually a contemporary analogy of what this is it think of wearing a bulletproof vest um, that, that's that's an accurate description of it um, the breastplate covered the the torso started at the neck and came down to the waist um, but its main purpose obviously was protecting your the heart you have to protect your heart you have to the believer has to protect their heart and keep it focused on Jesus and that focus on Jesus needs to be protected I mean, uh, last week last week we discussed that righteousness is our outward or external pursuit of God you have to protect that pursuit of, of God and when when we're saved when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ God takes the righteousness of Christ and imputes it to us and when we pursue righteousness That keeps our heart from being damaged and from losing our focus on Christ. So you have to protect your heart. And this means pursuing the righteousness of Christ daily by renouncing self-righteousness and living righteously in a world that scoffs at God's righteousness, a world that denies that God is even necessary. If you're not protecting where your heart is focused, then the enemy will happily give your heart a different direction. So the next part of the armor, uh, it's either called the the sandals of the gospel of peace or the shoes of the gospel of peace. So what's special about shoes? So Roman soldiers, on the bottom of their shoes, they had metal studs stuck into them. And the reason for that is if they were pushed around, if they were in battle, if they were having to walk up a slope or some type of uneven ground, they would be stable. They would be stable. They wouldn't slip. If they were engaged in combat with someone, then they wouldn't be able to be pushed back or moved. And, and this represents our readiness. The, the shoes represent our readiness to march into battle. The, the late pastor Lehman Strauss wrote this about the shoes. He writes, "The soldiers' shoes are not the dancing slippers of this world or the lounging slippers of the slothful, but the shoes of the Christian warrior who knows Christ and makes him known. And a lot of people are wary of, of duty and wary of service because they're just not prepared, because they're not ready, either because of procrastination or fear. And we. We don't become fully trained in this overnight. This this comes through dedication, this comes through devotion, this comes through study, this comes through practice. And Paul is urging us to be ready, to prepare to be ready to move and bear witness to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's reminding us that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is firm ground. It's a peace that makes us unmovable in battle. It's peace with God and it's the peace of God. When you have peace with God and you have the peace of God, you will hold your ground no matter how hard the enemy pushes you or punches you. So the next part of the armor. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's look at the shield of faith first. So this is not a small shield. So I don't know, maybe Chris and Ricardo and Thomas and Sanjash and Austin maybe can relate to us picking up the the garbage can lid and thinking it's a shield. Um, So that's about this big. That's the Greek word here for shield is derived from the Greek word door. So quite literally, we're talking about a shield that was about four feet tall and about two and a half feet wide. It was meant to protect your entire body from any type of assault. So during Roman times, arrows were dipped in pitch and, uh, or some other flammable material. And that was a very terrifying thing for people to see. When these arrows are flying through the air, you just see this fire coming at you. And so, Satan's fiery arrows, they hit us in the form of questions and doubts. The arrows want us to doubt our salvation. The arrows want us to doubt that, even, that God even called us to him in the first place. The arrows are, are, are doubts of whether we're even worthy of saving or, or doubts that we have any type of ability to serve God. Or. They they fill our heads with depression. They fill it with loneliness. They fill it with rejection and anger and jealousy. And on, on the battlefield, you just have to keep in mind that you will never be out of range of these arrows. But your faith and your trust in God will deflect these arrows, will stop these arrows, and it will stop them from getting through. So the next piece of the armor is the helmet of salvation. So obviously this covers the head, um, but also it covers the mind of the Christian. So when you're in a fight, obviously you have to think. And you see this arrow coming at you, obviously you're going to raise your shield. Someone's trying to stab you with a sword, you're going to block it somehow. You have to think of how you're going to react and how you're going to move. And. The reason this is called the helmet of salvation is because you have to protect your thoughts and keep them focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and on the Word of God. Jesus is the guarantee of our salvation when Satan and his forces whisper things in our ear and they they try to tell us, hey, maybe you should seek a more extravagant lifestyle or it's life is all about you or everyone else is doing it so it's, it's okay or you should be the center of attention because you, you, you deserve that center of attention over anyone else. Or earn more, work yourself to death, work yourself until, until you're so tired, but it's okay because you're gonna have all this money. Or spend more because you don't want someone else having more stuff than you. Or use that person, use him or her to satisfy your cravings. And then once you're done with them, just discard them. Or use those people to lift yourself up so you protect your head and you protect your thoughts by remembering your hope of salvation that as a follower of the lord jesus christ jesus already paid the price for your sins so the next thing is the sword of the spirit so it's not armor everything else everything else that we've discussed is is completely defensive The sword is the only thing that is a a weapon of defense and a weapon of offense. So last week, we mentioned the sword that would pierce Mary's heart, and and it was mentioned that it was a a Roman gladius, or maybe something longer, that that was the the explanation for it. So the word for sword here, the Greek word used for sword, is machaira. Obviously when when we think of a sword, obviously we like to think of a knight in in armor and he has got this, uh, has anyone ever seen an actual claymore? A Scottish claymore? They're usually about six feet tall. I I don't know how the Scots wielded those. I I heard they just swung it around like a helicopter. Um, Makaira, the Greek word used for sword means a sword this big. It was actually a very, very large knife. It, it wasn't uh, a, a gladius, which was this big. We're talking about a sword this big, so what does that mean? It means if you have to pull out this sword, then someone is probably in your face. You know, using the football term, someone gets in your grill, right? This is close quarters combat that, that we're talking about here. By the time you have to use the sword of the spirit, and something to keep in mind is that when you use the sword of the Spirit, Satan will not flee because we tell him to. Satan will only retreat before the power of the spoken word of God and when it's used when we're in the midst of temptation. So the greatest example of this is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, when Jesus used scripture and use the word of God to battle the devil. And it's written there that then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So, no, notice how this this battle wasn't a physical attack; it was a verbal attack. It was meant to wear away trust and faith in God. And so, this is this is the chosen method that the enemy uses. It's not it's not something out of a horror movie that we see. It's it's a subtle whispering meant to sow doubt into all of us. It's quiet. It's usually not. It's usually not out in the open. It's, it's what you hear at night, usually when you expose yourself to loneliness. It's what you hear at night when you're exposed to temptation. And you have to remember to rely on the word of God, to use the word of God to stop this temptation from happening. And Michael actually said in one of his lessons a few years ago that when you are in an attitude of praise, you can't sin. So that's something to remember. When temptation comes, put yourself in an attitude of praise. Read scripture. Recite the word. Recite the verses that you know. That's using the sword of the spirit. Because the the devil can't stand against the word of God. And God's word is the Lord Jesus Christ and what's recorded in scripture. When the Christian spends time in God's word and makes it a part of them, they will be able to wield God's word effectively when the enemy attacks. And for those of you who ever studied martial arts with weapons or if you've studied fencing, one of, one of the main things that your instructor will tell you is make that thing a part of you. Make that sword an extension of your arm. Make that club an extension of your arm. Make God's word an extension of who you are so that you can always pull out that sword any time it's needed. So let me give you five things to consider and then three questions. So these are some thoughts from the battlefield. So the first thing is, is that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. Now, when you became a Christian, you actually never left the playground, you just moved from one side of the battlefield, one team to the other side. And if there's a playground, then, then it's, it's heaven. But until you get there, you have to realize that the ground that you're standing on is a battlefield. And Christians have been fighting this battle for the last 2,000 years. And it's been a battleground ever since Satan was cast out of heaven and thrown down to earth. So we are living in enemy territory. The next lesson, don't seek out a fight. Don't wander off and... and go in search of these things um ignorance may be bliss for most people but if you know there's something lurking out there don't don't open the door for it Uh, don't go looking for them and especially don't go challenging them because that's a sure sign of someone who isn't prepared who hasn't had the training and hasn't learned the skill that's needed and unless you're living out in the country where your nearest neighbor is an acre away you you wouldn't leave your door unlocked or you wouldn't just leave your car in the parking lot with the key sitting in the driver's seat. That's an invitation for trouble. And there's already too much overconfidence already in in the younger generation that's been brought up thinking that they can do anything and with the mentality that they can do it better than anyone if someone else can do it and without even having to work for it. So we have to be mindful of that. Um, And as a warning, in Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 16, there's mention of who are called the sons of Skeva, and I'll read it for you here. So the sons of Sceva um, had heard that, that Paul was casting out unclean spirits, and so they decided to take their show on the road, and they decided to do the same thing. And so it's written, a group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying... I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such force that they fled from the house naked and battered." So they heard what Paul was doing and they tried to do it themselves and they got beat up for their troubles. So. Don't seek out the fight because the battle is going to come to you. Uh, That's guaranteed. So the next point, always be on defensive and face your enemy. So have you noticed anything interesting about the armor we described? It only covers the front. There's no coverage for the back at all. The breastplate only covers the front. I mean, I I guess you can throw the shield and cover your uh, and cover your back but if arrows are coming at you I don't think this makes a good defense if you just turn around with your shield on your back so you always have to be on the defensive and you have to face your enemy because the the armor really only does protect your front and if you turn around and run what's going to happen the arrows are going to hit you anyway and they're going to hit what's exposed they're going to get right around the armor the next point expect to meet resistance and to get hit. So, if you're not under any type of spiritual attack as a Christian, you're probably not walking and growing in the Christian life. So, something to remember: uh, Christianity. If we want to use a sports analogy, Christianity is actually a full-contact sport. So, again, those who maybe boxed, boxed, studied martial arts you know what it's like to get hit. And even though God's armor will stop anything from getting through, you'll still feel the impact and you'll be bruised, but you'll still be able to fight. The next point, Satan is not equal to God. Satan can only be in one place at one time while God is omnipresent. Satan is a finite being. He knows his time is limited while our God is infinite and eternal. Satan is inferior. God is superior. Satan's already been defeated, and he was defeated when Jesus died on the cross for our sins and then rose on the third day. And in the words of the late pastor Warren Weersby, this isn't a fight for victory. It's a fight from victory because of what Jesus has done. So now a question. Are you prepared for battle? So people who've been Christians for a while may not necessarily be strong Christians and just because someone's a new Christian doesn't necessarily mean that they're strong. It's, it's not the years that you have, it's the mileage. It's the journey itself. So if, if you're not prepared, then, then start preparing. Ask yourself, is there anything weighing you down? What, is, is there something in your life that you're just giving too much attention to, that's drawing your attention away? Think of the loose clothing. Is there anything that you need to tighten up? Anything, like trimming the fat off a of meat. Is there anything that you need to trim the, trim the fat off? Um, do you know what's, is there anything that can get in your way from your walk with Christ? Or, or better yet, ask yourself, is your breastplate, is your body armor on properly? Is it adequately protecting your heart? Are you wearing the right shoes? Obviously, you're not going to get into a fight wearing heels, right? Or something similar. Or you're not going to go on a 20-mile on a march in, in very cushioned running shoes. You're going to use something with little stability. Are you wearing the helmet of salvation so you can actually see out of it? Next question, is God the source of your strength? Because if he's not, then how are you gonna be able to resist temptation? Because you can't fight this on your own. You have to first be strong inside so that you can use the armor. And the person who's strong within is the one who believes that God the Father sent his only son to die on the cross for their sins and who believes that Jesus is God and who trusts in the leading of the Holy Spirit. So one final question. What is the condition of your armor today? So does it need cleaning? Does your belt still fit? And if it doesn't, do you need to punch another hole in it to tighten it up? Do you, some of us, maybe need to punch a hole and loosen it? But does your belt fit? Is your breastplate dusty? Does it need to be taken and cleaned off? Do you know where your shield is? Is your helmet in good, in good working order? Is it cracked? Does it need to be repaired? And most important, what's the condition of your sword? Is it rusty? Because if, if it's rusty, it needs polishing and that polishing comes from spending time in God's word comes from fellowship with other Christians, and we know, we know that because we're told, iron, like iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another. So does, it, does your sword need polishing? Or do any of these pieces of armor need repair? Then I encourage you to work on it. Uh, so one final thing. Has anyone heard of the Testudo formation? Has anyone heard of the Turtleback formation? It's not football. Okay, so we talked about the shield, we talked about the Roman shield, that it was about four feet tall. So there was a formation that Roman soldiers took, in order, one to protect themselves, but in order to protect their team. And that's what it looks like. This is, a, this is a physical representation of how we are as a body of believers. We have our own shield of faith. But when we come together, we can protect each other from the arrows of the enemy. So you can see there's protection in the front and there's protection on top. So when we support each other, when we pray for each other, when we minister to each other, the arrows may come raining down on us, but they're going to bounce off of the shield, of everyone's shield. We protect each other. We support each other. So I want you to keep that in mind. And um, the song that Nathaniel chose for us will remind, reminds us of the victory that we have in Jesus. Reminds us of, of the victory that is ours, that we are fighting from a position of victory. The battle's already been won. We just have to put on the armor of God and fight.